May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The word of God from our meditation is from Mark chapter 11. It'll be read in the course of the sermon. Dear sisters and brothers in our Lord Jesus Christ, I was intrigued, I admit, when I saw the title for this Lenten series, His Final Steps. I began to wonder where his final steps would lead to. My mind started creating a list the upper room, Gethsemane, the trials before the high priest and Herod, the judgment hall of Pilate, Calvary, the tomb. Of course, it wouldn't be his own steps that took him to the tomb. Well, on that, from that list, as you I've already read in the bulletin. The winner is his final steps led to a fig tree. A fig tree? That wasn't among my top ten. In fact, it wasn't even on my list. But now that it's been mentioned... Yeah, Jesus, Jesus did go past a fig tree twice, Monday and Tuesday mornings. And it turned out rather badly for that fig tree. But it taught some important lessons to his disciples. Let's listen and learn when his final steps led to a fig tree. Mark records, The next day, Monday, after they had set out from Bethany, Jesus was hungry. When he saw a fig tree in leaf in the distance, he went to see if he might find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, since it was not the season for figs. Jesus said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples were listening. Was Jesus hangry? No snickers back then. No. That would be so out of character for him, we can eliminate that one right away. Then... What is going on here? We feel kind of badly for that poor fig tree. And we're confused by Jesus' reaction that there was no fruit on it. Part of the answer is in that last statement I read, and his disciples were listening. That fig tree was, well, it was Jesus' object in his children's lesson. 
So let's hear him explain what it's all about. Unless you've grown fig trees, you're probably as clueless about them as I am. A, a Google search helped clear up some of that cluelessness. For one thing, fig trees usually leaf out late spring just before summer rolls around. Jesus once made use of that fact when he was talking about the signs of the end of the world. He pointed out that just as the leaves on a fig tree cause a person to say summer is near, so the fulfilling of these signs cause a person to say that Jesus' return is near. Another thing was that when the leaves are full grown, a fig tree is a beautiful place to sit in the shade on a summer day, get out of the heat. Jesus saw Nathanael sitting under a fig tree when Philip called him to come and see Jesus. One more little interesting item is the fact that before the leaves start forming, the fruit will begin to form. A fig tree can produce up to three crops a year. And that final crop in a year may end up hanging on the tree all through winter and still be edible in spring. Mark notes that the new figs, well, they weren't ready yet. And so that's what causes his comment that it wasn't the season for figs. When Jesus saw that fig tree off in the distance, it, it stood out. A fig tree in full leaf at that time of spring was unique. All those leaves seemed to hold out promise that there would be fruit on the tree to eat. If not the old fruit of the previous year, the new figs. And, well, it would be an excellent place to get some fruit for breakfast. But Jesus learned when he got there that it was all show and no fruit. And that's the point of comparison in the lesson that Jesus is teaching. Let me explain that a little further. From that fig tree, Jesus continued his way on into Jerusalem to the temple courts. At the temple was all that beautiful worship carried out day after day. Worship that pointed to the Messiah. The Messiah was here, and the people didn't recognize him. All those times of worshiping there at the temple, and they had no clue about the Messiah. What was lacking was faith. Worshiping at the temple was kind of like that fig tree. Looked so beautiful. 
but it's fruitless. Well, there's a warning for us in this. We come here to the Lord's house to worship him, to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Savior. If, however, we only come to put on a good show, if we're lacking faith in Jesus, then then that worship is as lifeless as that tree became. John the Baptist warned that the axe was ready to strike at the root of the trees. To further his lesson, Jesus spoke that curse on the fruitless fig tree. It would never produce fruit for anyone after that. Likewise, those who reject faith in Jesus, well, they are under a curse. They are just as dead as that tree. Jesus told Nicodemus, the one who believes in him is not condemned, but the one who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Without faith, there is no life. For this reason, dear friends, keep coming to the Lord's house. And in your private worship at home, bring glory to his name through that worship and through your service to one another. Bow down before the Lord in repentance and he will lift you up with his unbreakable promise of forgiveness, new life, and salvation. Mark goes on. As they passed by in the morning, this is Tuesday morning, they saw the fig tree withered down to the roots Peter remembered and said, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. I suppose that tree could have remained green and fruitless, but since it had lost its main purpose, it shriveled up and died. What a blessing that we grasp our purpose in life, in addition to coming to faith in Jesus, is indeed to glorify him with our worship and with our service to one another. Well, Jesus went on to explain the point. Jesus replied, have faith in God. Amen, I tell you. Whoever says to this mountain, be lifted up and thrown into the, heart, into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, everything that you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him 
so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. But if you do not forgive, your Father in heaven will not forgive your sins. Have faith in God. Jesus uses what happened to exemplify that power of faith in God. For one thing, it accomplishes the impossible, the withering of a tree, a mountain jumping into the sea. Look at what faith has done for you. When guilt has piled up into a mountainous snowdrift, Christ plows it away by reconciling you to God. By faith, you have peace. All that heartbreak that brings a flood of tears to your eyes, Jesus wipes those tears away. And he comforts you with that promise that he will work everything for your good. By faith, you are consoled. That grief that begins to press down on you because you decided to rewrite or ignore God's law in order to satisfy your own selfish desire. Jesus, Jesus carries that to the cross in your place. By faith, he gives you joy. That heartbreak that comes and presses down and makes your life seem like you can't handle it anymore, Jesus comes along with his strength. And then your weaknesses make evident his gracious strength in your life. When all of this, however, doesn't depend on how strong your faith is. It's not a matter of a strong faith or a weak faith. Remember that time that Jesus said that a faith as small as a mustard seed could move a mountain? Well, that applies here also. It's a matter, instead, of centering your faith on God's word and will rather than on selfish wants and desires. When we center on God's word and will, then our prayers will also focus on those. Those blessings that God has promised us specifically, we can ask for specifically. Asking for that blessing of forgiveness for renewal by the Holy Spirit, for faithfulness to our Savior. Our God is more than pleased to grant those things to us. And those blessings that 
our God promises in a more general way, such as everything we need for body and life, well, then we go to our God asking for those things and that he give them to us in the way that he knows to be best. In both cases, we come before the Lord with this confidence of faith that he will bless us in the way that serves our well-being. This is indeed the confidence of faith that Jesus is talking about and he gives to us. Faith handles one other matter that sometimes seems pretty impossible, forgiving others. Our Heavenly Father, because, because Jesus has redeemed us, has forgiven us even before we ask him, Similarly, we are to forgive others, those who sin against us, even before they apologize to us. Our Heavenly Father, well, He keeps forgiving us, even when we repeat the same sins over and over again. In the same way, we are to forgive those who keep sinning against us, in the same ways. Our Heavenly Father, He continues to forgive us even when we tear His heart out by what we've done. Similarly, we forgive those who tear our hearts out because of what our Savior has done for us. This is what we pray in the Lord's Prayer. This is to be our practice because of God's greater forgiveness to us. And besides, refusing forgiveness is kind of like putting a force field over ourselves. It cuts off God's forgiveness then the Lord will be like that master who said to his servant, that servant who refused to cancel the debt of his fellow servant, pay it all back. Imagine our Heavenly Father saying to us, pay it all back. There's no way we can pay that debt. But our Savior has paid it in full for us. And for that reason, we forgive those who sin against us. Although I didn't expect it, I'm kind of glad Jesus' final steps led to a fig tree. It's taught us the lessons of the importance of faith in Jesus and the power of faith in Jesus. May we take his lesson to heart so that we glorify him who took his final steps for us. Amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus.
Amen.